0: the new fully electric Audi e-tron GT. Enjoy the breathtaking performance and design of the future of electric mobility from Audi. With quattro-inspired flared wheel arches and matrix design LED headlights, every element has been carefully considered and selected to help deliver a thrilling drive. And with an acceleration of 0 to 100 kilometers per hour in 4.1 seconds, the Audi e-tron GT is performance electrified. Start the future now and visit audi.ca to learn more. The pandemic forced Canada to close its border with the U.S. to all but essential traffic. Did this change also signal a new phase in our relationship with our largest trading partner? I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to David Jacobson, the former U.S. ambassador to Canada and a vice chair at BMO Financial Group. Jacobson said the border closure has definitely had economic impacts, not all of which can be measured, some of which are unexpected. For instance, more Canadians vacation in the U.S. than vice versa. And so closing the border may actually have helped in that sense. Jacobson also talked about what lies ahead as the new U.S. president, Joe Biden, brings new policies into effect, like Buy American. As always, the interview was edited for Clarity and Brevity. David Jacobson, it's a pleasure to have you on Down to Business today. Gabe, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. The U.S.-Canadian border has been closed to all but... I guess, essential business since March 2020. Uh, how can we think about the economic consequences of the border closure?
1: I, I think it's necessary to begin by saying that I think all of us would agree that COVID um, has been a tragedy in human terms. It's been a tragedy in lost lives. It's been a tragedy in lives that are upended. But economically, it has also had impacts. And a place where you have to start is what has happened to the Canadian economy as a whole. And the Canadian economy contracted in 2020 by 5.3%. So far in 21, it has grown by about 4%. The um, estimates are that by year end, it will have grown by about 6%. But you have to keep in mind that in normal times, the economy and GDP in the Canadian economy tends to grow about 4% a year. Uh, so if by the end of 2021, we're more or less back to where we started in 20, before the, before COVID, we're probably 8% behind.
0: 8%. Wow. So that's a nice backdrop. What are some of the direct impacts of the border closing?
1: There are two parts to it. One are the direct losses as a result in the diminution in travel, things like hospitality, transportation, shopping, uh, all of that. And then there are the indirect losses from what I would refer to as the sand in the gears of commerce. And you have to look at each one of those separately. And maybe if we start with the direct losses, StatsCan has estimated that the total loss to the Canadian economy from reductions in travel and tourism, that's all travel and tourism, not just the stuff across the border, that that portion of the GDP has gone from $37 billion to about $28 billion, or about a $9 billion reduction, which led to a loss of somewhere between 400 and 500,000 jobs or something like a 1.5% reduction in GDP, which is about a third of that total reduction that we just talked about. And, but keep in mind, most of that is travel and hospitality that is domestic for Canadians because they're stuck in their homes. But you also have to look at the direct costs of uh, the border itself being closed in that part of travel.
0: But, sir, can you just quantify for me again what the direct impact was?
1: All right. There's direct impact of reduction of travel, which we just talked about. But then there's a direct impact of the border closure itself. And for this, you have to think about a concept of the travel balance of trade, something that most people don't oftentimes think about. And you have to think about what constitutes a Canadian export and a Canadian import of travel. And again, this is where it gets a little counterintuitive. When a Canadian goes out of the country, for example, when a Canadian comes to the United States and spends money in the United States, that is a Canadian import uh, because Canadian dollars are being used to buy U.S. goods. When an American comes to Canada, by way of example, and he or she spends money in Canada, it is a Canadian export because they're spending money on hotels, transportation, food and shopping and whatnot. And historically, Canada has had a significant travel deficit. And the reason for that, and probably your listeners will understand this one, There are a lot of Canadians who go to the United States, travel elsewhere around the country, around the world, but particularly to the United States, and a lot more of them go to the United States than Americans go to Canada. Obviously, there are exceptions, places like Banff and and Tremblant and Niagara Falls. But as a general matter, Canada has a travel trade deficit and varies a little bit year to year, but it tends to be about 10 to 12 billion dollars of a trade deficit. This year, 2020, BMO's economists have estimated that there was about a $20 billion annual reduction in travel exports, which is to say Canadians go into the United States and elsewhere because they couldn't go. And so what's happened is that Canada has turned a $10 to $12 billion trade deficit into a 7 or $8 billion trade surplus in travel, which is the first time that there has been a trade surplus in travel for Canada since 1967 and Expo, uh, when people from around the world all came to Canada for the World's Fair. So again, this is kind of counterintuitive, but the direct impact on GDP in Canada because the border is closed probably is positive by a little bit. But that's not the end of the
0: story. Well, how would you peg the end of the story, so to speak?
1: Well, the rest of it is what I referred to earlier as sand in the gears of commerce. Let me give you an example. I live in Chicago. I'm the vice chairman of BMO. I, before COVID, used to go to Toronto very regularly, a couple times a month. I can't do that now. And I'd like to think that the fact that I can't go to Toronto and do the things that I used to do in Toronto or elsewhere in Canada diminishes the efficiency of the bank. Now, take that and multiply it by a million. You've got trucks that can't easily cross the border. You've got supply chain disruptions. And those are all the indirect consequences of the border being closed. And these are almost impossible to quantify because there are a whole bunch of little tiny changes but net net it is very negative to the canadian economy and i don't think anybody would claim that the closure of the border when you take everything into account the direct benefit and the indirect cost uh, is anything but a negative
0: yeah let me pivot for a second to canada's relationship with the u.s and how it's changing i mean under president trump we saw tariffs against Canadian aluminum and steel. It was pretty easy to think, well, as soon as he leaves office, everything will revert back to normal. There's still some strain. You, know, you saw it last month, the, the U.S. announced plans to double their duties on imports of Canadian lumber. They requested a dispute panel on Canada's dairy import quotas. There's also this new Buy American Procurement Program, which could hurt Canadian exporters. Are we witnessing a prolonged moment of strain in the relationship between Canada and the U.S.?
1: Well, I, I certainly wouldn't put it that way. And, you know, the phrase that jumped out at me is back to normal. And the question is, what is normal? And while I'd like to think that in the good old days, while I was the ambassador to Canada, it was the the golden age of everything in Canada-US relations, we had plenty of problems. We had our own Buy America problem in the stimulus in 2009. Historically, Canada and the United States have more in common probably than any two countries anywhere in the world, but that doesn't mean that our interests are or should be identical. And probably because the big things are so smooth in the relationship, there's a lot of attention to the small things, and th- that is not to diminish the things that you talked about. They're not trivial by any means. But when you look at the seven or eight hundred billion dollars of trade that moves back and forth across the border, when you look at how the United States and Canada cooperate around the world, the things that you're talking about are are legitimately irritants. There's some that go the other way but there always have been and there probably always will be because our interests aren't identical. I might also say, though, as long as we're talking about this, that the one thing that clearly will change between the Trump administration and the Biden administration is the tone is completely different. I know for a fact, that President Biden has a very strong relationship with Prime Minister Trudeau. Another thing that's gonna be very different is the predictability of the relationship. So it's never perfect, it will never be perfect, but by and large, it's pretty darn good. And as I used to say when I was in Canada, there are probably no two neighbors anywhere in the world who wouldn't be glad to trade our problems for their
0: problems. And yet it does seem like there are these sort of kind of inflection moments that are happening. I mean, within hours of taking office, Biden revoked Keystone XL, you know, which would have allowed Canadian crew to enter U.S. markets. And now the Canadians want the White House to help solve this other energy challenge in Michigan where the governor wants to close Enbridge's pipeline. And I think the Biden team has declined to intervene.
1: Well, you know, One of the things that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone in the United States, Canada, or anywhere else is President Biden's commitment to the environment and particularly climate. The Keystone Pipeline, for better or for worse, in its very long and very tortured history, became something of a litmus test, at least in the United States, about where you stood on climate. President Biden during the campaign made it very clear that one of the first things he would do if he got into office was to revoke the presidential permit. So this was not a surprise. On Line 5, I actually wrote a piece about this not too long ago. It's a very different situation. The consequences to all the people who live in uh, in Ontario and Quebec who get about 45% of their energy through Line 5, this would be awful. The crisis, which is not really a crisis, is kind of man-made by politicians in Michigan. And to say that the president hasn't interceded, he hasn't had to intercede yet. The energy is still flowing through that pipeline. My guess is it is going to continue to flow through that pipeline while Enbridge builds an alternative route underneath the bed of the Mackinac Straits. But You know, we in the United States went through a tiny version of a disruption like this with the Colonial Pipeline, which just coincidentally also carried 45% of the energy to the mid-Atlantic states. And it was out of commission for a week or 10 days. There were lines at gas stations and there was chaos. And the idea that we would permanently cut off 45% of the energy in Quebec and Ontario and them in Michigan as well. It just, it doesn't make any
0: sense. Yeah. Energy does seem like, you know, lumber disputes are sort of perpetual. It seems like energy may enter that mix too.
1: Well, you you may be right about that. I'm reminded when I was preparing to come to Canada after the president had nominated me and I had a series of meetings. And one of the meetings I had was about the softwood lumber situation. And someone explained to me that there will probably be softwood lumber disputes between the United States and Canada for as long as there's softwood lumber. And that seems to have uh, been borne out. And there will probably be energy issues as the United States and Canada seek to move from fossil fuels for a whole variety of reasons into renewable sources of energy. Canada has a huge energy sector, as does the United States, are essentially larger and there, is, there are different kinds of pressures on energy producers in the United States. But you're right. This is a, a potential friction point. But as I said earlier, you know, we've always got friction points. And this is an example of how our interests may not exactly coincide and we have to work our way through them. We have to do the best that we can to try to perceive each other's interests here, try to accommodate them as best we can without violating our own values. And how you know, I we we've muddled through on softwood lumber and we'll muddle through on energy.
0: You know, we started off talking about the border and how sort of we're we're kind of living through unusual times with it being closed. But also the politics in I think every country in North America are very polarized right now. I mean, when you look at the big picture of the relationship between U.S. and Canada, it sounds like you're positive about it, but I'm wondering if you draw any other conclusions about what the challenges are going to be or what we can expect going forward.
1: Well, you know, again, we're going to have issues like the ones you've talked about that are going to pop up always. They probably should pop up. Uh, But in the scheme of things, they're the kinds of issues you would prefer to have as opposed to some other kinds of issues that neighbors have with each other. But whenever I'm asked about this, I am always reminded of a quote of President Kennedy in a speech that he gave to the Canadian Parliament, I believe in 1961. And it's literally carved into the wall of the embassy in Ottawa, and it's kind of carved into my mind. But President Kennedy said that geography has made us neighbors, history has made us friends, economics has made us partners, and necessity has made us allies. Those whom nature hath so joined, let no man put asunder. And I think that those words, more than any that I have ever heard, capture the enduring nature of the relationship between our two
0: countries. David, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for, for joining me and sharing your thoughts. My pleasure. That was David Jacobson, former U.S. Ambassador to Canada and a vice chair at BMO Financial Group. Thanks for listening to Down to Business. Bryce Hall handled music and production. Yudula Hussein served as editor and Pamela Heaven assisted with web support. You can show your support for the show by rating us on your podcast app. I'm Gabe Friedman, and until next week, you can find your business news at financialpost.com or any of its five weekly newsletters covering energy, the economy, finance, the workplace, and investing.